Today, I'm with Oreste Somran. Oreste is a partner in the Brussels office of DLA Piper and head of the EU Greek practice. He's an expert in EU regulatory matters in the energy, banking and infrastructure sectors. He also advises the IMF and the European institutions on the implementation of the Greek program. He is currently a PhD candidate on comparative constitutional law at the University of Amsterdam. Orestes has served as a guest lecturer in many universities in Europe and the Americas on issues of comparative campaign finance law, sovereign debt restructuring and constitutional law. Our discussion today will be based on Orestes' expertise on topics such as conventional and renewable energy, the financial crisis Greece experienced in the past decade, the current status of renewables in Greece, and the initiatives to connect and realize the return to Greece of the thousands of young Greeks who left the country due to the financial crisis. Welcome to the show, Orestes. Thank you very much, Panagiotta. Thank you very much for the, for the kind uh, introduction. Really appreciate it and uh, very happy to be here uh, today with you and share my views on the interesting topics, topics you just mentioned. Thank you for being here. I'm pretty sure our discussion is going to be fruitful and interesting since we're going to see different topics based on your uh, professional expertise. As citizens, we have seen the past few months tensions rising in the Eastern Mediterranean, especially with Turkey, Greece and Cyprus regarding hydrocarbons exploitation. One might wonder if Greece becoming a major hydrocarbons producer in the East Mediterranean is a matter of public administrative malfunction or energy affairs and geopolitics. Considering such matters complex and multifaceted, is there anything else missing in this picture from your expertise in delegating EU regulatory matters in the energy and infrastructure sectors? Yeah, that's a very interesting topic actually. and and. Uh... It's a combination of both factors to actually put it right from, from, from scratch. Uh, it's obviously a thing of a sort of administrative uh, coordination and internal Greek organization of how we're going to deal with the hydrocarbons uh, industry in the country so that the country becomes a hydrocarbons producer internationally. And that requires legislative and administrative coordination at a level which we frankly don't have at the moment because we have not been a producer so far. A, a at least a, a considerable producer in the world. But on the other hand, it's also part of geopolitics. As you correctly point out, uh, Turkey is a what I like calling a persistent aggressor in the area. Uh, they, um, they do question the legality and legitimacy of, of the Greek actions in the Eastern Mediterranean. They, of course, keep questioning um, the, the sovereign rights of the country of Greece um, in the Aegean Sea, uh, and that's what we've seen them doing for a number of years now. So it's a uh, rather uh, subtle balance that needs to be uh, striking there um, between between the international cooperation that the country need, needs to seek amongst other neighbors and the position that Turkey will adapt. So it's not a very um, easy uh, thing, to be absolutely honest. I think it's a very tough riddle to solve. And the country needs to be prepared diplomatically to actually uh, deal with what Turkey will do next if we decide to become a major producer in the area. Um, uh, coming now to the EU regulatory framework that you're mentioning, indeed, 
Um, right now, the EU regulatory framework focuses mostly on renewables rather than on conventional energy. Um, there is some sort of flexibility within member states to designate their own uh, sort of upstream policies and their own upstream legislation with regard to hydrocarbons, um, but both, both, both liquid and gas. But I think the most important part here is actually you know, like putting together the internal services of the Ministry of Energy, um, cooperation between the Ministry of Energy and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in terms of Turkey, and, and generally um, taking advantage of the EU of the EU framework to the furthest extent uh, to demonstrate uh, internationally that we are a member state of the EU and we will we are applying uh, both EU and international law when we designate the national policy around hydrocarbons. Complex issue, but still lots of things to be done in Greece to um, get there. If one would forget about any tensions at external borders of Greece uh, over the hydrocarbons and just seeing EU alone, what could be the primary obstacles in the oil and gas industry in the EU? Well, from a historical perspective, you would you would obviously see that that most member states, the member states at least that have this kind of resources, um, exploited this kind of resources by actually putting together national entities, national companies, state companies, government entities that were responsible for not only the exploitation but also the distribution and the marketing of the of the end product. And that's a systemic problem because through the years we have moved into a private market, we have moved into a more open liberal market, whereas these entities do not function very easily simply because they are uh, deeply bureaucratic, they have organizational issues, they are very linked to the state and they have to apply a very specific policy which renders them inflexible within an open market internationally. So I would identify that thing as the first thing to consider when actually looking at the industry from a European, from an EU perspective. Another thing is the inflexible EU regulation. I think member states have been left with the discretion to designate their own policies and their own uh, um, um, uh, frameworks, legislative frameworks, which right now that it has created a lot of uh, differences in the approach that different member states have. Another issue that the EU needs to consider of creating consistent frameworks, consistent regulatory and legislative frameworks that will be applied by everyone in the EU uh, uniformly and consistently. That's very important. And also, I guess, um, another thing would be the lack of resources. If you look at it right now, of course, you've got, you've got Italy, you've got the Netherlands, you've got... Um, some other countries in the northern Europe who are uh, basically having a very developed national policy because of the fact that they've got still resources. But in fact, Europe uh, in general uh, is not rich anymore in primary resource in hydrocarbons. And we depend a lot on the on what I call the eastern part of the world, of course, Russia and the other former republics of the Soviet Union, which basically directs the issue mostly to distribution rather than to production. If you don't have resources, obviously you can't focus on production. Um, and that's something very important for the years to come at uh, the infrastructure issue. How do we create an energy uh, efficient Europe by increasing interconnectivity and infrastructure and infrastructures in Europe uh, to transfer oil and gas from the East 
the West, that's one thing. And the second thing, obviously, is how do we um, do we increase uh, the uh, the participation of renewables in the energy mixture so that we don't depend on conventional oil and gas, uh, where, as I said, resources are rather minimal. And many scientists and companies of renewable energy technologies rest high hopes in the recent EU Green Deal. Are there any areas the EU regulatory framework lacks on renewables for investors to practically assist the EU in Green Deal? Uh, that's a very good question, actually. I think the first thing that we need to look at when, when speaking about the Green Deal is the targets that are set. I believe the targets are rather unrealistic, given the infrastructure uh, of the EU in, mem in many member states, given um, the, um, um, the evolution of renewable projects within the EU and given the number of investors, both national, both, I mean, EU and, 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 and foreign and third, and third country investors in the EU right now. And of course, um, we get a look at the EU from, uh, from a 27 member state perspective rather than on a state by state perspective. And if you look at it right now, you would obviously see that there are states that are really, there are member states that are really, really behind. Uh, whereas uh, there are other states where, where, that are doing very, very well. So realistic targets is the first thing that the first thing that the framework needs to uh, take into consideration. Uh, same thing is tax. You want to attract investors. You do that with having an EU renewables energy regulatory framework, but you can't leave corporate and tax requirements outside the mixture simply because if you want to attract a foreign investor. And no matter whether the foreign investor is renewable or conventional, they need to have the, ad the adequate incentives such as tax and, and corporate structure requirements to enter an EU market. So that's something that the EU might need to consider for, for the framework to become more efficient and more attractive to foreign investors. Um, I think another thing that the framework needs to, needs to understand is the particularities of member states, over-dependency on carbon, that's one thing that the framework doesn't necessarily touch upon. Uh, we see countries such as Germany, Poland, Greece, to a certain extent, still over-dependent on, on carbon and lignite. And the transition there is going to be a lot more difficult compared to other jurisdictions, such as the Netherlands, for example, or such as Italy, that has progressed in the past 10 to 15 years at more renewables uh, projects, or France, for example. So we get in France, of course, has nuclear energy as well, which is another sort of topic of discussion. But still, I mean, the EU has to look at each jurisdiction in particular and accommodate the particularities of each jurisdiction in setting targets and in shaping regulation. Thank you for mentioning the delignification of Greece, uh, because my next question is that we have seen over the past year the current government to intensify the national future planning for renewables through, for example, the incentives of purchasing electric vehicles, the PPC renewables and its project, including the delignification of the Western Macedonia area. What is the future of renewables energy in Greece considering the current structural and financial measures and the updated national environmental legislation? That's a very good question. And thank you for asking me that. Uh, uh, I 
surf uh, feel very strongly about this about this topic because we are i mean my firm and myself are very um highly involved in the surf energy transition effort of the greek government we are representing the greek government in uh, negotiations with the um european commission uh on 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 the base on basically the uh the plan uh to 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 transition the the market from a lignite based market to a more um environmentally friendly market. I think the cornerstone of the whole discussion is the decision of the government back in 2019 to withdraw the lignite units uh, of PPC from the market. That's a very important step uh, towards a different mixture of energy. Um, uh, indeed, that, that, that actually includes lots of complexities. Uh, first of all, um, energy sufficiency within the system. Uh, it's a good thing to say we're going to remove the lignite plants from the uh, from the market, but how are we going to replace them? Are we ready to replace them? Are there sufficient, for example, uh, gas units or renewables or any other form of, of, of energy to, um, to 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 supplement the system? That's one thing, so, and and that's why we have been discussing with the European Commission the introduction of a strategic reserve scheme, which would allow those units to remain in operation uh, while uh, while officially being sucked. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing that is also very important is how do we support local communities? Uh, those local communities were really built around um, the, the lignite plants of PPC, and you've got people working there. You've got families dependent on the income um, on the, of these of these of these of these units, and of course you've got uh, entire communities that are really um, breathing around the lignite the lignite units. Um, so so. Um, Again, you need the cooperation of the EU. You need the support of the European Commission that needs to grant approvals to the um, to the government of Greece uh, for for a considerable state aid um, uh, to those to those areas, so that we can rebuild those areas. We can take advantage of the of the areas where those or these were very large areas where those lignite units um, used used to exist, and actually make the most out of that. Including any sustainable development efforts that the uh, competent committee of the Ministry of Environment is right now putting in place. So to cut a long story short, um, it's not an easy um, uh, riddle to solve um, either. Um, the regulatory framework needs to focus right now in Greece on on this huge effort that is being taking place. Obviously, the recent governmental measures are in the right direction. There are. Uh, a number of, of financial and technical incentives for renewables. And the whole question is how do we connect the effort of the government to withdraw the plants from the market with replacing that capacity with renewables and other forms of sustainable energy? I have quite a sensitivity to the Western Macedonia region because I come from there. My father was working at the PPC for 25, 30 wow. years. So I'm aware of the environmental impacts the lignite plants have to the area. But I also consider the high unemployment currently the area has, it's 27%. I'm also considering the poverty of families who are unemployed over 75% of people who are unemployed in the region live below poverty. So it's really important to consider employment and training of people who are going to leave the lignite plants 
and the youth who needs to remain in the region. Um, I was reading through and I wrote a series of articles on LinkedIn that there should be a concrete plan in the employment for the area as well. Because it's easy to uh, delignify the area to employ different renewables technologies, but would these renewable technologies create more jobs for the area? And this is something to consider as well. And I'm not quite sure if wind and uh, solar energy alone uh, will deliver many jobs to the area, possibly hydrogen should be included in the mix, in the energy mix of the area, because hydrogen technologies could create more jobs. But moving on. You're right. You're right. I got to tell you that I completely agree. I mean, just replacing lignite with renewables on these specific areas is is not enough. And renewable projects might not be the right projects for this area. It's clear to me that, that the money uh, should go in the development of new businesses, uh, in the development of a new um, sustainable plan for the regions, taking into consideration the expertise of these local communities that has been developed throughout the past decades, taking into consideration the needs of the new generation, and then sustainable in- development obviously includes um, uh, includes, includes universities, includes new forms of development that do not necessarily connect with uh, the current energy mixture per se. So that that's one thing, and and, and I completely agree with you, and I, I I do believe that the government has been really uh, seriously thinking about that, and the current plan does indeed include for private businesses to come and invest in those areas. The hydrogen um, opportunities, I completely agree with you as well. Um, I think hydrogen is an important medium of energy. There is right now a discussion within the Ministry of Energy with regard to the creation of a national committee on hydrogen. There has been lots of technical thinking that, that the right people within the ministry, but also in the industry, have been putting together in order to uh, come up with a plan and and if not uh, right away, I'm pretty confident that in the next five to ten years that will be part of the of the discussions uh, and and we will soon have this form of energy as well increase as part of the energy mix. My next question is also around renewables. We have a lot of expertise in Greece, including those scientists and engineers who work abroad around renewables. How could Greece become a hub of renewables in the East Mediterranean? Could this be a realistic expectation? Well, um, becoming a a hub requires a lot of things, uh, truth be told. Becoming a hub indeed does uh, uh, does create a lot of questions how we're going to put that together. I think, first of all, uh, interconnectivity is one thing. You become a hub when you are able to export uh, the energy you are producing, and that uh, uh, and that happens with interconnectivity of the, of the different grids, international cooperation with neighboring countries, but not, but even not with neighbor countries. Just like making sure that the system operates in a way that you can export the energy. Uh, that's first thing. Second thing is inter actually ensuring international cooperation uh, in pro in renewable projects. 
So right now, we've seen lots of investors interest, national investors, but also international investors. Uh, that, that we have to make sure that the right synergies are created in order for investors from neighborhood, from neighboring countries to come and invest in Greece. Uh, and that requires international agreements, that requires a policy uh, driven towards the internationalization of the renewables uh, strategy of the country. Another thing is obviously identifying uh, the areas where there could be technical synergies. Right now, technologies uh, that have been implemented in Greece are rather mainstream. Nevertheless, many of our neighboring countries have been adapting modern technologies to an extent that we haven't. And, and that's also a thing that we need to consider. If you want to become a hub, you certainly need to have the most updated technologies in place. And that's something uh, we got to certainly work on. And yeah, overall, um, ensuring international cooperation, enhancing diplomatic efforts with neighboring countries, creating financial incentives for investors that are active in neighboring jurisdictions to come and invest in Greece, exporting the energy that we produce from renewable sources rather than consuming it in-house. Thus, these are all things that, that would play a role in Greece becoming a, a hub for renewables in the near future. Please stay tuned for the second part of the interview with Orestes Omran to find out how reviewing the industry legislation and lodging market development programs can boost and sustain the energy economy in Greece. Orestes' opinion as co-founder of the initiatives of Brain Gain and Consensus on extending the coordination of the Greek soft power. If and how Greece could start in the present. Why we are afraid of failing and equally afraid of succeeding.